Hello lovely humans, welcome back to The Tangent, this is episode 3. I know that one of the big barriers to people engaging with disability and making friends is that there's this feeling that you don't know enough or that you don't understand all the history and stuff. So that before we go into all of my stories, I thought we could spend some time just unpacking a little bit of the history and the theory and the models and all those things that people don't really know about, but they're pretty interesting to investigate. So this episode is all about sharing some of that theory, the models of disability and things like language, we're going to place them on a timeline and connect some of the important dots on like the psyche of being disabled because timing and context matters. So let's get into it. Buckle up, lovelies. We're taking a ride through some of the quickest corners of my life on wheels. I'm Katie, and I've been doing this disabled thing since day one. This is not your typical disability education podcast. Every tangent, every detour is a chance to look behind that curtain of disabled life, unravel the threads of confusion, and discover those, whoa, that actually makes sense, moments. Eventually, this is the tangent, where laughter is the map, curiosity is the compass, and understanding blooms even in the craziest corners. Hit subscribe, grab your headphones, and get ready to be surprised, because the way to understand why is to embrace the wild, hilarious how. So let's do the thing. Okay, so this episode may be a little bit information heavy, but I'm gonna try to make it as absorbable as possible and like make some of it make sense, connect some things. And um, one of the things that I realized when I was preparing for this episode is that this is actually a lot of knowledge that I just have. And I thought about like, where did I get this from? I am an activist and I've been an activist for like 20 years so um I've learned some stuff I also had to do this actual research for my my master's um I did my master's in human rights law focusing on the right to basic education for disabled children in South Africa with the hint of the infiltration of ableism into legislation and systems which was super interesting i can share that with you if you want i just wanted to contextualize myself and my knowledge before we got into all of those details so i don't want to start this conversation on a downer but it's important to remember and recognize that historically Disabled people have been treated pretty badly by society, often seen as a drain of resources, incapable of contributing to society. Um, institutionalization has been a big thing historically, with like complete disregard of disabled people's autonomy. Things like sterilizations happening, um, no access to positive support systems so 
recognizing this history, uh, there's a lot of baggage that disabled people still carry, and we combat this baggage in history, even though we've made really good steps and leaps forward with theoretical understanding. It doesn't always translate into our lives and lived experiences. So we're going to have a theoretical conversation right now, but understand that that doesn't necessarily change anything in our lived experience in any recognizable way. When I was preparing for this episode, I did some research and just to like see how many models there are. And I registered why people are overwhelmed when they get to do this research when you try to find anything out because guys, there are so many models of disability historically. So, Keeping that in mind, I kind of want to make it as user-friendly as possible. So I went through all of them, all the ones that I could find, and I've sort of realized that there are four main areas of models, and so we'll pay attention to to those. For today, <laughs> we're going to look at like the overarching ideas and concepts within these four kind of areas still remembering that these are each like historically placed so uh, we start off with the moral models and then we get some medical models and then we got social models and at this point in time we are mostly focused on uh like an adapted social model and um rights-based models of disability. So, let's get into it. The oldest model that we have is the moral model of disability, which has very blatant negative connotations. It positions disability as punishment resulting from, like, sins of your family or ancestors and led to a lot of people hiding their disabled people or not letting people know that they have disabled people in their families. There's lots of shame at this point in time. And it wasn't until the mid-1800s that the models changed. But this sort of attitude that exists within this time has persisted somewhat. And it's a big thing that we challenge and combat still today. Uh, this sort of beginning stages of understanding disability was interesting. It's like, we have this uh, punishment. What do we do with it now? What do we do with this person? So we got given some medical models, and these were very much focused on productivity and function and your ability to contribute to society. These developed during a time of like wars and the industrial revolution and stuff. It was very important that you were able to function at a high level and to be able to do the things that 
society needed you to do and disability just doesn't always fit into that narrow mold of of existence so the medical models were very focused on function so there's something wrong with your body uh, it doesn't work how it's meant to and that's based on non-disabled able-bodied standards and so we'll use medicine and medical intervention to fix it the model is kind of cause and effect oriented so we'll find the cause of the disabledness find the cause of the problem and then solve that problem during this time the eugenics was big a big focus uh, being disabled was seen as a lack of health or the opposite to health and it works on the assumption as well that having a disability limits your function and your productivity and because of that it assumes that your quality of life is less if you have any quality of life at all so that's interesting it also placed disability in the same category as severe illnesses like cancer and the approach in terms of support was like your disability your problem so it was something that was inherent to you as a person in a negative way linked to you so many negative connotations in your disability as yours as an individual was not only representative of you but also of the people around you but in a negative sense so you can kind of see how it would be hard to navigate life as a disabled person when people don't see your value because you can't function in the same way as non-disabled able-bodied people do and linked to that then an outflow was the charity model also known as the tragedy model which is like very problematic language to me but this model deems disabled people as a victim of circumstance and deserving of pity and we need to be helped because we are unable to help ourselves so there's that <laughs> so once we had this kind of context of disabled people are a problem you know i think we're still a problem but we're a positive problem i label myself a problem all the time <laughs> i'm high maintenance like i told you i was high maintenance when you got here so <laughs> apologies that you now have an issue but moving swiftly along so once we had that whole basis of understanding we then have i'd like to sort of put this out here at this point that i don't know if the people designing these models were always disabled people and i don't know if disabled people were always involved in the creation of these models i don't know that history so here's a disclaimer but given the level of representation and 
like inclusive research that happens today, I'm doubtful that there was higher levels of engagement and involvement with disabled people at the time of these models being created. But that's just me asking a question. So we moved then, sort of, there was a, a different approach and understanding of disability that evolved, that emerged into the social models of disability. So we moved focus from the individual with the problem to the problem being an environmental one. So this model makes disability a lot more abstract and looks at social barriers like attitudes and inaccessible spaces and like the actual exclusion of disabled people from participating in society. And this started to gain popularity in the 1980s and led to lots of legislation happening like the Americans with Disabilities Act arose during this period. And it's interesting that the UN also got into the social model, put out a definition of disability that goes something like uh, impairments are self-evident and can be dealt with, but disability is created by the ways in which society responds to that impairment. And at some level, I agree with that. I agree that the environment that you're in creates easier existing, if it's accepting, and it plays a big role in how you feel about your disability. But some argue that this model is too broad um, and defines disability too broadly to adequately address the needs of disabled people. Um, I don't know if I particularly agree with that perspective. I have my own thoughts on this model. But this is where the person-first language started happening and people took that really seriously in terms of uh, labeling disabled people. So we spoke in previous episodes that I use identity-first language and we will look just now at how that fits in the timing and contextually. But person-first language came out of this time frame where the, where people were very focused on creating inclusive, supportive environments for disabled people and recognizing the personhood of disabled people. And autonomy was big here and accessing all kinds of parts of life was a big deal at this point in time. So that's awesome. That's progress, right? So you're not, you're not gonna ever get a perfect model. Um, there's always things to improve on and there's always going to be different perspectives to, and responses to these theoretical things. So there's also this idea that I don't know where this came from. I read it somewhere. But the sort of idea is that as many disabled people as exist, there are that many 
different disabilities. I could have said that better. The number of disabled people is the number of disabilities that there are. Does that sound better? I don't know. I hope it's making sense <laughs> that the disabled experience is so unique that each person has a unique disability that's just theirs. So understanding that also in this time frame and in this period and this context, person-first language makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense that people who grew up in this time and with this approach under this model, you can understand why they hold fiercely to person-first language. Because historically, disabled people were not seen as people. And so when you're not seen as a person, a valuable contributor to society, worthy of the space that you occupy and the resources that you absorb, you can see why the reaction is so strong when people use words that are not person-first language. So we also need to be compassionate and understanding within that space to allow people to label themselves however they want to with the knowledge that they come to that decision of definition with history. So the social model is interesting. It's a big step forward. This model is interesting because it moves the responsibility of support onto society. It removes it from the disabled individual, which I find interesting because I have grown up in the era of the rights-based model of disability, which pitches disabled people as having the same rights as everybody else and positions disability as a natural part of human diversity and because of that it has to be respected and supported in all of its forms. So that's my context, that's my realm of understanding. So for me, identity first language makes sense because I've grown up in in the era where that's the acceptable standard. So once we had this social model uh, movement, we had some like empowerment realizations, I guess you could call them. There are a lot of lesser known models of disability and there was a definite shift towards positivity in the later decades. So um, disability in a lot of these newer models is positioned as a positive. Disabled people are seen to be unique and this is the beginning of disability being seen as an identity. So it's an important shift and there's a lot more disabled pride being considered. There's a lot more existing allowed, you know. You are allowed to exist in the body that you exist in. You don't need to fit into some non-disabled mold because you were made the way that you were and you are valuable just so. And when these models emerged, it's also 
looking at collective power of disabled people. So there were recognitions of buying power of disabled people, recognition of like political leverage of disabled people. Because if you remember that disabled people are a minority group, there's a billion people that live with disability. That's a huge amount of collective power that's only recently being acknowledged. Not yet harnessed, but acknowledged. We make steps forward, we make strides forward, but it's always interesting to look back and see how we got here. And I'm intrigued and interested to see how we move forward from here because the the same sort of issue arises with the rights-based models when you say disability needs to be supported in all its forms and in all spaces. I wholeheartedly agree with that, but how do you make that a reality for people? I'm asking that not as a, but how do you do that, more in a, how are we going to achieve that kind of a way? (laughs) Because I think there are so many barriers that exist around us that we don't need theory to be one of those barriers. So we need to learn the theories, use them where they make sense, learn from what didn't work, and move forward, making the lived experience of disabledness a more positive one. Because we can't constantly be educating people the whole time. We have to move towards action. And there's been a lot of action. There's still a lot to do. I hope that that wasn't too much knowledge sharing for one session. I hope that it was valuable. I hope that it gave insight. I forgot about some of these things, so it's been interesting for me to kind of uncover them again and get newly angered by some of them, newly enthusiastic, newly intrigued by disabled history. There's a lot of tea over here also, so that's a fun thing to go into. I look forward to growing more of these conversations. If you have questions about any of these models or anything that we've spoken about here, please do share them. Give a comment what your thoughts are, what your questions are, because that's really how we grow. That's how we build a community is just by being brave enough to ask the questions. Ask the questions, embrace the curiosity and the confusion because that's what we do. So we'll see you in the next one.